from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And if I've forgotten it entirely, then there's nothing to forgive. So that's my logic. It seems somewhat at odds, though, of this idea of tenderness, because Mm -hmm. it feels like the most tender thing we can do is forgive people the way we need to be forgiven. I know. Perhaps I'm a mixed conundrum of, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you're right. You're right. And it probably says a lot about my personality that on one hand, I lobby for tenderness. And on the other hand, don't cross him. (laughs) You're going to hold on to that grudge. Yeah. Well. But there's probably a little bit of both those things in each of us, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah, it's not so much about holding grudges. It's more like maybe, maybe it's about conservation of energy. I don't like to put energy into things that I can't change in a better way. I'm Sarah Fenske. One of America's most acclaimed living poets lives in St. Louis and teaches at Washington University. Carl Phillips recently released his 16th book of poetry. Then the War includes both new material and some of Phillips' best poems from 2007 to 2020. The Guardian called the volume a, quote, wonderfully compendious introduction to this major U.S. poet, adding, quote, for those who have admired his work in the three decades since his debut, they are glowing confirmation that that as he enters his 60s, Phillips is writing better than ever. And Carl Phillips joins us today. Carl, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So I'm so excited to discuss this book. I have to ask, though, this title, it seems almost like too on the nose right now. Yeah, that wasn't, obviously, that wasn't the plan. (laughs) Uh, I hadn't even thought about it. The poem was, the poem, the title poem was written several years ago. And, uh, Yeah, and then the day that the book was released in the UK was the same day of Russia attacking Ukraine. Wow, you could not have planned that. I know, so I hope that's all right. Yeah, I mean, are you getting now, (laughs) you know, your your journalists and your your poetry reviewers who are trying to get you to now weigh in on this international conflict? I mean, people wonder, you know, what if there's any resonance, but that's not the kind of war. I mean, it is in the poem. It's actual war that's meant. But I was more interested in um, the relationship between violence and tenderness, I suppose, and what use is tenderness against a lot of harder realities in the world. So it's not as if it's not inappropriate, not mm-hmm. appropriate. Um, but yeah, that wasn't a plan, not a marketing strategy. What I read in many of these poems is almost a defense of tenderness in mm-hmm. the light of just how terrible the world is and can be, that this is still something that matters and that this can almost like blot out some of the badness around us. I think that's right. Um, or at least that's what I, I hope. It's how I live. It's Sometimes I f- have felt um, in, I guess, what's 30 years of writing, uh, that I am not political in certain ways that people have expected me to be, especially about race and about queerness. And uh, of course, those things are part of my daily life and matter a great deal. But uh, but I still think that it's important to make a space for love, for tenderness, um, intimacy. It's, 
That's a very important part of being a human. Yeah. That makes me think of a a poem in this book. This is Fixed Shadow, Moving Water. It Mm -hmm. starts, one friend tells me everything's political. Another says nothing is. We just make it political. Is that a discussion? You you find yourself having that argument with friends. Exactly. Yes, that's that's where that poem came from. And, And just thinking maybe tenderness has its own value in the end. Though the poem ends sort of mid-sentence because who knows? It's a big if, if we can do this. Yeah. Can we make from tenderness a revolution? And then the poem just, that's the end. Yeah. Hard out. There's still a question for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, I certainly think it's essential. Tenderness is, but, but I know it's not, it's not going to blot out poverty, Mm -hmm. um, certain kinds of suffering. So, but it doesn't mean to feel tenderness is an indifference to to poverty and suffering. Yeah. And it seems like right now with, again, here I am, I'm going to be one of these interviewers making this about the war in Ukraine, but we're seeing these terrible images and Mm -hmm. we're all so absorbed by them. And yet there's still a way that we can love the person next to us. Exactly. Yeah. I think there has to be. And it's not just the most recent news. Um, All of the COVID epidemic has also made that clear that community is important and small connections, um, neighborhoods. So if we're going to feel so alone, especially when there was lockdown, I think that's that especially got me thinking about this subject. So that's kind of what drove some of these images of, of conflict and war, mm-hmm. the war on COVID, the war we had with each other over COVID. Sure, sure. And, and not to be controversial, but, you know, the kind of war of the previous presidency. I mean, there's a lot of, it seems as if, the country's become even more divisive than ever. So, mm-hmm. um, and that is real. But um, but at the same time, how do we remember that we are human beings with certain things in common and, you know, kindness, kindness. still matters. I think that's a great lead into the title poem that you've kindly agreed to read for us today. I feel like with poets, there's just no substitute for hearing the actual work. The words are so much smarter than any words we might say extemporaneously. So this poem is, is Then the War. All right. Then the War. They planted flowers because the house had many rooms and because they'd imagined a life in which cut flowers punctuate each room, as if each were a sentence not just to be decorated, but to be given some discipline with the most memorable sentences, like people, always slightly resist. Spit of land, rags of cloud rack. Meanwhile, hawk's nest, winter nest, stamina as a form of faith, little cove that a life equals what they meant, I think, by what they called the soul, twilight taking hold deep in the marshweed, in the pachysandra, where the wind can't reach. Then the war. Then the field and the mounted police parading their proud-looking horses across it. Then the next morning's fog, the groundsmen barely visible inside it, shadow-like, shade-like, grooming the field back to immaculateness. Then the curtains billowing out from the lightless room toward the sea. Then the one without hair stroked the one who had some. They closed their eyes, if gently, hard to say how gently. Then the war was nothing that still bewildered them, if it ever had. 
And that is Then the War. That's by Carl Phillips, a poet, also teaches at Washington University, and he is my guest here today. So I like thinking about how these various images all came together. Where did this poem start for you? Um, It's funny. I was talking about it just the other day, so I can actually say, uh, because I had to think about it. Uh, I'm retiring in a couple of years. Um, I'm going to move back to Massachusetts, where I am from. And so a couple of years ago, a month before I'd ever heard of COVID, I'd finally found online a house in Massachusetts that seemed affordable that I'd like to look at. And I was going to be out there anyway. So I went down to see this house and liked it. And driving back um, to Boston, I the first line of this poem just came to me. Hmm. Um, I imagined living in this house. Could I make a life here with my partner? He's from Missouri. He hadn't been to Massachusetts before. Would he like it there? What would we do? We could plant flowers. And so I just I was barreling down the highway and realized you can just dictate this into your phone, Carl. You don't have to try to find paper or pen in your car. And, um, and yeah. is, that a, is that a normal part of the process for you, that you mm-hmm. will do this? I've got this line. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to record this right now. Yeah. Usually when I'm walking my dog um, or doing something mindless, peeling potatoes, whatever. Um, yeah. And then I sort of collect the pieces eventually and figure, let's see if they'll collage together. So, so yeah. And then... Um, and then there is a St. Louis element to it. I'm fascinated with the, I guess it's the paddocks. That's the, it's where the police horses are, they have their stalls in, in Forest Park. Park. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I love watching the, them bring the horses out and they, and they sort of do groom the area and parade the horses around. So that entered into here. And that's where I hadn't been planning to have war in this at all. And, but having thought about this scene of tenderness and making a home with someone and then thinking but it could easily be disrupted. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we have the war and then the imagined it's inter- scene. It's interesting to think of the war being represented by policemen, mm-hmm. domestic policemen. I know you're not. Yeah. You don't think of yourself as too political of a poet. I know. I know. But it probably, you know, as you know, there's been a lot of news about police in the last few years. And um, so it's probably not accidental mm-hmm. that that came in, though I... Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that until now. And you haven't had any particular bad interactions with the St. Louis police. It's it's more been things in the news? That... Yeah, I, I, well, yes. Um, I mean, I grew up um, believing that you trust the police. And as a little kid, I was lost in the neighborhood once, and the policeman helped me, and that's all great. Um, but I don't know. I have been stopped three times in St. Louis while driving, and at least two times, um, they said they just wanted to make sure the car I was driving was mine. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. And as soon as I gave them my Wash U ID, it was fine. They said, oh, no problem. Sorry to disturb you. We just, you know, have to be vigilant. So I, I don't know. I have my mixed feelings. That's interesting, because, um, yeah. you know, among my white friends, we sometimes joke about the fact that it's impossible to get pulled over in this mm-hmm. town. And, of course, I'm jinxing myself. I should probably drive <laughs> carefully leaving here. But yeah. I know people who just don't stop at stop signs. They're like, oh, sure. St. Louis police don't enforce these things. You've been pulled over three times. Yeah. And and I truly I was bewildered and said, you know, what what's happening? And they, and they just said, oh, we're just doing a check. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't even speeding or... 
Has the greater reckoning that has happened in the world in recent years, and in St. Louis, going back to 2014, has that made you think about those encounters in a different way than maybe you would have before that? Oh, absolutely. I, it has never occurred to me that when stopped by a policeman that I shouldn't reach into a glove compartment and get my materials that they want to see. But it was only after these shootings became more um, visible in the news that I realized, you know, Carl, you should have everything sort of ready in case you are stopped and and not have anything lying around that even looks like it could be problematic. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that we hear people who have been shot because of a cell phone in their hands. Um, you feel so, like so, you have to react defensively. Yeah. So it's odd. It's a weird, it's a weird way to uh, – it's not that I've gone through my life not being conscious of race, um, but I haven't been when just doing something like going to the supermarket. Um, I don't really think about that or walking the dog around the neighborhood. And yet it's not ultimately a political poem. I mean, maybe it right. is in a way. It ends yeah. with with you or with the speaker of the poem there with his partner. Right. Again, finding that moment of tenderness, turning away from the imagery of the policemen on their horses. Right, which I suppose is a, in its own way is maybe a problematic response for some people. Um, you know, is that enough to turn away from it or, or what? I don't know. You talk about you're preparing to retire, mm-hmm. um, preparing to then leave St. Louis. Mm. Are things like that part of what makes you want to go back to the Cape Cod area, leave St. Louis? Oh, no. Um, I mean, I've, I have loved it here and, uh, and still do. And, and I love the working at the university. Uh, but I still, once in a while, walking around here, wonder, where is the ocean? What is, <laughs> what is wrong with this place? That is a fair question. Yeah. And it's, I'm used to, I grew up seeing it around just every day. You can't really drive around. The way you can't really not see the arch if you live here in the city. Yeah. And so, so it's mainly that. And it is a more liberal um, place. And that does matter to me. But, but St. Louis itself is very liberal, too. And, but, but there's plenty I'll miss. And your partner, he's a Missourian. Mm-hmm. I feel like these Missouri men, it's hard sometimes to permanently pull them away from Missouri. Do you think he's ready for this experience of, of leaving? Oh, yes, I do. Um, yeah, he... <clears throat> he's got his bags fast. He's, he's um, I mean, he's very much born and raised here, but he, his politics don't necessarily square with... Uh, Maybe the the state's overall politics. The Missouri legislature is perhaps a problem. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's okay. There's probably a lot of St. Louisans listening to this going, yes, I feel the same way as that. (laughs) Yeah, I just realized probably the listening audience is with me here. They they may be with you on this. Yes. (laughs) We'll see who finds it on the podcast. Who knows? Right. Crisis could erupt. So I want to go back a bit to this book here, Then the War. You have so many interesting pieces in this. And one is your lyric prose memoir that's sort Mm. of tucked in with within the poems. This is called Among the Trees. Mm-hmm. And this is such an interesting exploration. It, it almost plays with like the fairy tale feeling of going into the forest. You start with a really kind of jarring story there about your childhood. Yes. Is that a true story? Yes. Okay. So when you say this is a memoir, this isn't a poet kind of playing fast and loose with memoir. Oh, no, no. It's, um. I mean, I hadn't thought of it as a memoir at the time. And then someone called it that and then it ended up being on the book. Um, but it was it was initially just a sort of lyric essay I did for a magazine, uh, Emergence magazine, and 
they just wanted me to write about trees. And I realized I have a lot of associations and just started collecting them. And yeah, one is this episode of falling from a tree um, in childhood, I, a fig tree, I believe. Um, I was just wearing my underwear, I was four years old, five years old. And, and the underwear sort of saved me from hitting the ground. I was hanging from this branch. And, and it was getting dark out. And, and as I remember it, well, my father may not remember it the same way, um, my mother said, well, we should get him down. And my father said, well, maybe he should just stay there for a bit because, um, you know, he can learn his lesson. But I think of it now and I think about the association of African-Americans lynching trees. Um, and my father, who is African-American and from Alabama, raised in that time period when yeah. lynchings were certainly going on. Um, it just seems very ironic, though I don't think of him as being um, sophisticated in that way that he would have thought that. This wasn't intentional, no, that I, illusion. No, I think his his method of child rearing has always been humiliation mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is useful. And he's right. I mean, it, it, it taught you a lesson. It does stop you. But on the other hand, here I am simmering with resentment. You had a, a line in this. My earliest memory of humiliation is of a particular fig tree in the yard of the first house I remember. Mm-hmm. Who can say how related this is to my refusal all my life to believe forgiveness exists? Mm-hmm. Are you still uh, holding that grudge? You're... It's. I don't know if it's a grudge, but I don't believe in forgiveness. And I've had lots of debates with friends about this. Um, I mean, uh, the only... Uh, my understanding of forgiveness is, is that somehow you, you no longer hold blame. Um, uh, it doesn't erase what happened, but you don't feel angry about it. But my feeling is, as long as I remember it, I still, it's still there, and You're I'm holding uh, on to it. Yeah. So, um, so the only thing that could make me really forgive would be to forget entirely. And if I've forgotten it entirely, then there's nothing to forgive. So that's my logic. It seems somewhat at odds, though, of this idea of tenderness, because mm-hmm. it feels like the most tender thing we can do is forgive people the way we need to be forgiven. I know. Perhaps I'm a mixed conundrum of, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're right. You're right. And it probably says a lot about my personality that on one hand, I lobby for tenderness. And on the other hand, don't cross him. So. <laughs> You're going to hold on to that grudge. Yeah. Well. But there's probably a little bit of both those things in each of us, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah, it's not so much about holding grudges. It's more like maybe, maybe it's about conservation of energy. I don't like to put energy into things that I can't change in a better way. And so sometimes you just have to walk away. You're not mad at your dad, but you're still remembering. You've made a note. Oh, sure. But, you know, now that I'm the main person who takes care of him and oversees him, you know, I'm, everyone thinks I'm quite a devoted son. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone I am. Everyone thinks I'm. That's an interesting <laughs> construction there. Yeah. But is, he's still back in Massachusetts. He is at 88, yes. And so when you go back there, mm. um, this is going to put you closer back in orbit in our final minute here. Is mm. that something that you have some mixed feelings about as well? I have some mixed feelings about it. Uh, it's been nice to live across the country. Um, but on the other hand, I am happy that I'll be there to help him as he needs an advocate to, you know, speak for him sometimes. Yeah, and he's still going strong at 88. He is. So, yeah, no problems there at the moment. You he anticipate on, he'll still be there at 90. Yeah, he plans to be there till 100. That's wow. what he told me. You're planning on that too. Mm. 
<laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, Carl Phillips, I want to thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. And reading from this work, this has been so interesting to talk thank about. Thank you very much. This book is called Then the War and Selected Poems 2007 to 2020. Um, in addition to being its author and the author of uh, 15 previous books of poetry, Carl is also a professor at Washington University. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. The Gateway brings you the day's news from the St. Louis region and across Missouri. It also includes stories from the Illinois side of the river and our Metro East reporter, Will Bauer. In Alton, in Belleville, in East St. Louis, in Edwardsville, in Cahokia Heights, at Scott Air Force Base, I'm Will Bauer, St. Louis Public Radio. Listen to reports from Will and all of our journalists weekdays on The Gateway, on the STLPR app, and wherever you get podcasts.